God brings order out of chaos. And he brings hope where there is none. And tonight we're asking a massive question, what is gender? And there is a lot of chaos and a lot of hopelessness in our culture about this issue at present. A few years ago, Facebook changed its uh, gender options that you could choose to identify yourself uh, with from 2 to 72. And there was then a backlash against them for that being too restrictive. And so they now simply offer male or female or custom. And you can describe yourself how you wish. Sports bodies are uncertain, to say the least, at how to categorize and classify transgender athletes when there are such profound physical differences between biologically male and female bodies. But people don't know what to say about it or to think about it. Alongside these kind of issues, we've also heard a lot in the news recently about men mistreating women. And I expect that many, if not most, of the women here will have experienced some form of that. 93% of the British FTSE 100 companies, that's the the biggest uh, companies in the UK that are listed on the London Stock Exchange, 93% of them have a man as their chief chief operating officer, the guy in charge of the company. Most people think that this is wrong. 95% of prisoners in the UK are men. And most people don't think about that at all. This year is the centenary of any women being able to vote in a British general election, and it was another 10 years before all of them could. Around three quarters of all suicides in 2016 in the UK were male. And this rate has been steady for over 30 years, for as long as records have been kept. The issues we're looking at this evening have cultural forces at work in them which are powerful, some of them are new, some of them are old. We've had things from the last couple of hundred years, such as the Enlightenment, which has changed how we've thought about things, and the Industrial Revolution, which has changed what we are able to do. These forces combined with more uh, modern developments such as the sexual revolution of the last 50 years or so are in mix with faults and ideas that are actually nearly as old as humanity itself. There's a lot of confusion. At the same time, God is working for the good of those who love him. And he will bring all things one day under the lordship of his son, Jesus Christ. Cultural changes may be good, they may be bad. They are often a bit of both. And if you're a Christian, you need to pray for wisdom to work out what is what. And if you're not a Christian, you need to find ways to work this out. And not just to find something that works for you, but something that is really true. And tonight, I would love you to pray whatever you currently think and whatever you currently believe, that God would give us wisdom to hear what he is saying to us about gender. By his grace, what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at how Jesus gives us clarity about this, 
how he shows compassion to all of us, and how he tells each one of us to take up our cross, and he offers us a new creation, the only hope there really is. So I'm going to pray, and you're really welcome to join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we've sung about your love and your goodness this evening. We thank you that many of us have experienced this in our lives, and we thank you that all of us here can experience this. I thank you that you you speak clearly to us, and thank you that you show us such wonderful compassion. I want to thank you for the cross and for the hope of new creation. Would our ears be open to you? Would we hear things that perhaps we haven't heard properly before? Would we see things with a greater uh, clarity than we ever have done before? And would we know the truth? And would the truth set us free? Amen. Amen. One day, Jesus' opponents were asking him what he thought about marriage and divorce. And he replied in the way that he usually replied when people asked him questions trying to trick him. He asked them a question and he zoomed out from the particular issue that they were focusing on to the much bigger picture of God's purposes and God's truth. And Matthew 19 verse 4 tells us that he answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And so here's our very short answer to the question, what is gender? God made humans biologically male and female. That's the very short answer. But even in these few words, Jesus wants is an invitation to go much deeper into the full purposes of God. And that's what we're going to spend a while doing now in order to understand what Jesus is saying and to see what he wants us to see. He points us back to the beginning. And when someone like Jesus says that, that means Genesis 1 and 2, the start of the Bible. Very famous, very controversial, often misunderstood. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how those chapters tell the story of creation and what that tells us about pairings and purpose. The first words in our Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Immediately, what this gives us, summarising what's about to be described, is a pairing. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, two things. Now, we tend to think of the heavens and the earth as opposites. And definitely as distinct from each other and distant from each other. But that is not the intention in Genesis 1 and 2. Because the creation account is full of pairings which aren't meant to be at a distance from each other, but which are profoundly related to each other. We have God and his creation. There is light and darkness. There are the heavens and the earth. There is the land and the sea. There's the sun and the moon. There are plants and there are creatures. There is man and woman. The creation account repeatedly uses binary language. There is distinction between this and that. And the repetition that you're meant to hear in that, you're meant to feel in the rhythm of what's being described, it's meant to help you think this is how life goes. And our observations support that. 
God made day and night. Well, we need time to be awake because we're created with purpose, but we need time to be asleep because we are finite and we have to get recovered. We need land and we need water. We need food and we need drink. We need a male sperm and a female egg to begin existing. These pairs that Genesis 1 describes over and over are not meant to be separate from and independent of each other. They are distinct, but they are meant to work together in harmony. The pairings are real, and they are for purpose. They are how life works. That's the first point about why we have these pairings. Now, the man and woman pairing is unique in the account. What is said about them is not said about anything else in all of creation. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Nothing else in all of creation is made in God's image. Only humans. Every human ever conceived carries this dignity, bears the image of God. And so this pairing of man and woman is distinct from all the other pairings and everything else in all of creation. Although we're clearly told that the man and the woman are different from each other, they are also far more like each other than they are like anything else in the rest of creation. What makes us similar to each other, what unites us to each other in being made in the image of God is far more profound than what differentiates us as male and female. As we are both male and female made in God's image, there are no grounds for denigrating each other. And we can only fulfill the calling which God has given us to display his image to the rest of creation when real maleness and real femaleness are flourishing. Now, believing that men and women have exactly the same worth as Christians should do doesn't mean believing that men and women are exactly the same. Say that again. Believing that men and women have exactly the same worth in God's eyes does not mean believing that men and women are exactly the same. I mean, science would agree with us on this. Every culture tends to agree with us on this. And the Bible, God's word, tells us this. And there are typical characteristics for either gender. They are expressed through culture. So uh, biology and gender are related to how we express this in different cultures. But they tend to have certain characteristics that are the same. Men's strength tends to be physical. Women's strength tends to be social. Men are more likely to lean towards forming the world with structure and security, and women towards filling it with life and community. Now, the Bible doesn't give a list of masculine characteristics, this is what every man is to be like, and feminine characteristics, this is what every woman is to be like. Because there's much more variety in God's purposes than that. But it does give us Examples of godly men and godly women whose lives and whose relationships with each other are meant to be models for us and to inspire us and to encourage us. 
God is the source of every good thing. And neither gender can represent him fully to the world without the help of the other. So a man cannot say, I can do this job of representing God by myself. And nor can a woman. The pairing has one other purpose. The creation account climaxes, comes to its conclusion with an account of a marriage between the man and the woman, and we are told that the two become one flesh. That's what happens right at the very start of the Bible, almost the first page. If you go all the way to the other end of the Bible, almost the last page, there is another marriage. In the book of Revelation, its final chapters, 21 and 22, we see heaven come down to earth and a marriage take place between Jesus and his people, the church. And in this moment, all things are united in Christ for the rest of eternity. The the new age of the fullness of the purpose of God begins at this point. And this marriage will bring about an eternity of perfection and joy and peace. And heaven and earth are fully united once more. And that is our destiny. Men and women, male and female, married and single, that is what God is taking us towards. That's what he is bringing this story towards. And we need to be reminded of that. Because even if you're a Christian here tonight, when I said that, you'd be like, oh yeah, that is true. It's not at the forefront of our minds as much as God intends for it to be. And God gave us marriage between a man and a woman, these two distinct but interlocking people, these two distinct and interlocking genders, to point us towards him and what he is going to do. So it isn't arbitrary or random that there are two genders. There is purpose to the pairing. Maleness and femaleness in their distinction but also in their unity point us back to our creation. They point us up to our creator and they point us forward to the conclusion that all of life is being brought to by God. We are called to be living symbols of these truths. We are called to act out this story that we have been placed in by the author. That's our purpose. All of this is in Jesus' mind when he says, did you not read in the beginning, he created them male and female. That's Genesis 1 and 2, but Jesus knows that Genesis 1 and 2 isn't the end of the story. He knows what follows, Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, the man and the woman together rebel against God and what he had told them to do. They disobey God and that moment when sin comes into the world is known as the fall. We live in a world designed to be like Genesis 1 and 2, but it has been disfigured by Genesis 3. And if you get that, most other things make sense. Sin separates us from God. It makes us ignorant of the truth. It divides us from each other and it pollutes creation. It is a a moment of complete uh, change and disruption and ruin. 
and gender relations and gender identity are deeply affected by this. Immediately after man and women, uh, the man and the woman sin, the first argument happens. The man blames the woman for giving him the forbidden fruit. And that is what sin always does. It splinters what God had intended and br- intended to be together. And God says that this is what it will be like for as long as there is sin in the world. He says to the woman, your desire shall be for your your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Saying you're going to uh, you're going to fight against him and he is going to fight against you. The battle of the sexes is a trite phrase for what is so tragic. But it starts right there in Genesis 3 and has been going on ever since. Both genders see the differences in each other as failings or as opportunities to be exploited. Because men have tended to have greater physical and political strength, they have sinfully used these to dominate or discriminate against women. Jesus describes it tersely to the people he's debating with in Matthew 19. He says, your hearts are hard. Now some people's response to the trouble of these differences between man and woman becoming divisions is to try to abolish all differences between genders. If there's no difference between men and women, then we won't have these problems anymore. Or maybe we should just abolish gender altogether. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It makes things worse. But that is not what God designed us to be like. And his purposes will not be defeated by our sin. Sin brings gender division. It also brings gender distortion. Romans 8, to 23 tells us, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, talking about Christians who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul's saying that the earth is writhing in agony, afflicted with the consequences of sin. And what's true for the whole creation is true for each of us as men and women as well. And our bodies and our minds are affected by this. Many of us are born with or develop physical imperfections in one way or another. And all of us are going to die. And that is not what God intended for us. These things are distortions of God's good design. We've got a Genesis 1 and 2 design, but a Genesis 3 distortion in play at present. Now, it's in the context of understanding this that we can look at things such as medical conditions of uh, of intersex as being an example of this. Intersex is a generic term for a number of different physical conditions in which a person is born with sex characteristics or anatomy that does not allow clear identification as male or female. These are uh, physical abnormalities and they are sometimes identified at birth, sometimes later on in puberty or other times. And they can bring many difficult consequences 
for the person affected by them and also all those around them. And just as the Bible tells us to expect physical problems in this fallen world, it also tells us to expect psychological ones. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 observes, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the human condition. Under this heading, we can include what has, what has been known as gender identity disorder and what is now commonly called gender dysphoria. And this is a psychological condition in which a person experiences from early childhood deep distress over the sex that they have been born with. Now, whereas the causes of intersex conditions can be uh, scientifically identified, there can be uh, an extra chromosome or other things like that, the same is not yet the case with gender dysphoria. We aren't able to look at something or find something and say, this is why that is happening in terms of uh, physical uh, observation. This means that uh, for now, uh, most people uh, posit a variety of social causes as being uh, the reason why uh, this happens. It's recorded as affecting um, under 1 in 10,000 adults in the UK, which would mean about 5,000 people uh, in the British population at the moment. But increasing numbers of people are being referred uh, for gender reassignment treatment. Now, in a culture that's confused about what a person is, and who gets to define truth, it's not surprising that we are repeatedly and powerfully told by the stories that we consume in the media that people should be able to decide who and what they are and express themselves however they want to. That they should be able to decide this for themselves. But we've heard this evening a different narrative, and that should lead us to different conclusions. In just a few lines, Jesus has addressed several massive questions. He's told us that God makes humans male and female. He's told us that both men and women bear God's image and are to rule creation on God's behalf. He's told us that both of us need each other in profound and personal ways and that we are designed to live in glorious harmony with each other. And he's told us that because sin has entered the world, our differences have become divisions and we experience distortions of God's good design. So Jesus has given us clarity. What else will he give us? Matthew 9, verse 36, talks about a time, and it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Most of us feel this way most of the time. And the Bible tells us that Jesus has compassion on us. And his example is the model to all of his followers, that we are to love our neighbours, which he clearly defined as everyone, with the compassion that he had and the love that he had for us. And that we are to honour every person as a fellow bearer of the divine image. So he is the example that we are to follow. 
But he's much, much more than that. Because he invites all of us, whatever our mess and however unhappy we are, to come to him. Many of us carry burdens of trying to live as everyone else tells us to. It might just be a simple peer pressure to be on the right side of history and to agree with what everyone else is saying about men and women and issues of gender and everything else like that. That can feel like a burden. It may be the burden you carry is a resentment of gender stereotypes that have uh, trapped or diminished you or, or others. Or it might be very personally a desperate internal struggle with your body or your mind. Well, here's what Jesus says to all of us, whatever the burden is that we are carrying. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God promises about him a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And we see this throughout the Gospels. And many of us here who are Christians have experienced this extraordinarily compassionate and transforming love in our own lives. He knows exactly what we're like. And he knows the things that are our fault. And he knows the things that aren't. And he offers us rest if we will follow him. But how do we follow him? There's a famous story in the Bible of a rich young man who wanted to follow Jesus without changing his life. It's told in Mark 10, and it says, and as he was, as it says of Jesus, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What is the thing that you won't give up for anyone or anything? For that man, it was money. For some here, it's the desire for love and acceptance. For others, it's the hope of feeling comfortable in their own skin. Jesus loves you like he loved the guy in that story. But that doesn't mean he'll change for you. This is what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Following Jesus and receiving the eternal life he offers 
is a matter of death. It is death to ourselves and our old way of living. It is denying our preferences and the claims of our culture when these come into conflict with what God has said. It is refusing to believe that you are in charge and that you are able to define right and wrong and that you are able to define yourself. It is a giving up of all attempt to any of those things and a coming to Jesus and calling him Lord. In the specific situation of people who are experiencing gender dysphoria, in this context, and in every situation, they need to be given massive amounts of care and love. They experience profound difficulties with something that most of us here barely give a second thought to. But that does not mean agreeing with them if they want treatment for gender reassignment. Paul McHugh, whose title is the University Distinguished Professor of Psychiatry at John Hopkins Medical School in the States, has made the comparison between gender dysphoria and another condition in which the brain's perception of the body is not biologically accurate, anorexia nervosa. Now, it's a very different condition, so the comparison he makes is is this point. We would not give diet advice or weight-reducing surgery to someone who falsely thought that they were massively overweight. So should we give hormone treatments or body-altering surgery to someone who thinks they are in the wrong sex body? Now, much more needs to be thought and explained and shared and loved and cared about than that simple one-liner. We've got a story in which this dear person's life is being told. But that is a founding principle for all of us as we come to Jesus. And whatever it is that you struggle with, Jesus offers you better than the choices that you might be tempted to make that don't fit in with the story that we have told tonight. He says to the guy who has a lot of money, I will give you treasure in heaven. You think you're rich now? Just you wait. The blessings I've got for you and that I will give to you when you follow me will make everything that you want in this life seem laughably small. And you'll be amazed that you even hesitated for a moment when offered the choice between them. It takes faith to believe that. Because there's a, faith is living not by sight, but according to the promises that God makes. And so you may be very aware of what's before you and what you're hearing even tonight. Jesus saying, that has to go for you to follow me. You think, but I'm really aware of it and I really like it. And Jesus says, I understand, I get it, but I'm telling you to follow me and believe that what I have for you is better than what you would have for yourself. Will you believe him? Will you trust that he is right, that he knows? Or will you go away from from him sorrowful and continue to try to write your own story?
Don't think for a moment that it's easy for Jesus to say this. That encounter with the rich young man began, we're told, as he was setting out on his journey. Where was he going? He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to carry our cross. He was going to be shamed and to be broken and to be abused for us. He was going to take all the sin, all the wrong things we've done on his shoulders, to be filled with all the sickness of this world and to have God's righteous anger for all that we have done wrong vented on him. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Why is this good news for us? It's good news. It's the best news. Because Jesus triumphed over sin and death. The cross was horrific, but it's not a sad story. Because it doesn't end with him giving up his life. It ends with him taking up his new resurrection life and triumphing over sin and death so that they have no claim over him and over that which belongs to him. These things which have ravaged us and which have overpowered us so totally, he defeated. Neither of them could hold on to him and he was raised to new life. And this is the Christian hope. In those last chapters of Revelation that I spoke about earlier, when the story as we know it comes to its end and a glorious new beginning arrives, Jesus says these beautiful words of hope. He says, I am making all things new. This is what he promises to do for each of us who will follow him. To take our fragile, messed up, broken bodies and make them brand new like his. To take our divided relationships and bring them into eternal harmony in God and to unite all things in himself to the glory of God the Father. It says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If you will put your trust in him and him alone, today he will begin that transformation. It is such a profound change that the Bible calls it being born again, becoming a new creation. All of us need this. People with gender dysphoria feel a powerful sense of alienation. And in a really important way, they are right to. Because Romans 8 talks about the earth and us groaning with a longing to be changed. All of us sense this disconnect between how we are and how we should be. The things that we want to do aren't the things that we end up doing. And we look around the world and we think this isn't how it should be. And we're right. 
We're right to feel the awkwardness, the tension of it. And the Bible promises, like nothing else does, that there is a transition to glory to come. For some, the journey to that moment will feel long and difficult. God's plan to bring all things together in Christ cost him the agony of the cross. And so for us too, there will be challenges, sacrifices to be made in our following of him. But the end, Paul says what's coming is such a weight of glory so as to outweigh all our sufferings that following Jesus now entails. Here's how one writer imagines a Christian who had struggled with gender dysphoria but stayed faithful to what God has said, being greeted by Jesus in eternity. Imagine Jesus saying, well done. I know it's been hard. It's over now. I love you so much that I brought you to a place where who you feel you are and who you truly are are completely enmeshed. What you longed for, to feel like, look like, and to be the same person is reality. I know it's been painful. It won't be now. This is the hope that Jesus offers all of us. And this is the hope that all of us need. All of us need to become new creations, the results of which are to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Whether we're men or women, these are the fruits of God's Spirit in us. So how should Christians live in this present moment? Jesus has given us clarity that God made us male and female and God did this and declared that it was very good. This means that Christians should have a higher regard for all people than anyone else does because we don't believe that they're an accident of history. We don't believe that they just happened to have come about for a seemingly random series of processes. We believe they were made by God and made in the image of God. There's no greater dignity to be said of someone than that. And it's true of every person. And we should have a higher regard for maleness and femaleness than anyone else. Because we know that it is only through maleness and femaleness that the image of God can be displayed to the rest of creation. This means that we should treat others respectfully and lovingly Our differences should humble us. And as this series goes on over the coming weeks and we look at how we relate to one another in different ways, it will help us to see what it is to be male and what it is to be female. And again, in the notes that uh, you'll be able to pick up uh, online, there are links and articles to things exploring this more fully. I particularly recommend Andrew Wilson's talks, A Theology of Maleness and A Theology of Femaleness. Watch both of them. And they'll help you think this through more. 
But Jesus also told us to expect to see the effects of sin in all of us and in issues of gender as much as everything else. And he calls us, knowing this is the case, to love our neighbours and to share his compassion with them. This means not shying away from issues like this because they intimidate us or because they confuse us. We need to have wisdom to work out what changes that come in our culture are for good and what changes that come into our culture are destructive. And then we need to have the courage to make the case for what God has said. These things will take time and they'll take wisdom and they need God among us. I encourage you to talk about this in your small groups as they meet during the week. And if we've touched on issues tonight that are particularly pertinent to you, things that you are struggling with, have struggled with, please speak to someone. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book to keep you isolated and alone, to keep you out of the light. And God, through communities like ours, invites you in to share your story, to join with others of us, none of whom have got it right, all of whom experience difficulties, all of whom need the grace of God in our lives. God is speaking to you as he's speaking to all of us tonight with love and with understanding. And he wants to bring order out of your chaos and hope where you have none. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, after that encounter with that rich young man, uh, your followers said, who on earth can be saved? And Jesus, you replied, man, these things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Lord, we thank you for your good design. And we hate and repent of our part in messing it up. And we ask that you in your great compassion, your triumph on the cross, would make us new creations. That we'd put our hope in you. And that we'd learn to carry our cross through the rest of this life, denying ourselves, obeying you, calling you our Lord. Jesus, I pray for those who are wrestling with this right now, who don't know which way to go right now. Help them to see you and to know this love that passes all understanding. Lord, help each of us have the grace we need to walk for you and to speak your truth with love. Help us to work this out in the the coming weeks as we hear more teaching in these areas as we learn to live with it in our daily lives. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You promise to be with us now and forever. Amen.